I get the joy of serving as one of the pastors here, and uh, so excited to be here with you this morning and, uh, and worship Jesus. Uh, man, we, we are uh, kicking off our series in the book of Hebrews, and I'm extremely excited for this. We've titled this uh, series, Greater, and you're going you're gonna, to... Um, you're gonna, see throughout this book, the word greater or better appear over 15 times, around 15 times. And so the whole theme of this book is that Jesus is better. And it's so funny because I'm the one like advocating, like telling Mo and Ricky and the advisor team, we need to study Hebrews. Like this is the book to do. And they're like, are you sure? Like it's pretty tough. I'm like, yeah. And then I study this week to write this sermon. I'm like, what did I sign myself up for? You know, like, it's just difficult. It's a hard book you're going to find. And it's absolutely beautiful. And I think it's going to grow our church in amazing Ways And so here's just two quick reasons why um, we chose to study this book. Um, the first reason is that if, uh, if we were to just do a survey of everyone in the room and, and to say, hey, uh, if you've got 20 minutes to spend in your Bible, to read, in your, to read your Bible, where are you going to go, right? Is it going to be Old Testament, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Isaiah, or is it going to be New Testament, right? John, uh, Romans, Ephesians, right? Like, I'm guilty of this too, but I think we often neglect our Old Testament, right? We neglect that part of the Bible as if, like, the, the, half, uh, the first half of our Bible is the JV half of our Bible, right? Like, yeah, we love New Testament. This is kind of JV. Like, if you really want to know anything about God or anything about Jesus, all you need is the New Testament, but that couldn't be farther from the truth. God has given us our whole Bible, like all of this, every single page to point to him, to point to his beauty and his splendor and his majesty and to help us worship him and love him more. And so we can't neglect our, uh, our one half of, uh, of, of the Bible. And um, in Hebrews is this unique book in the New Testament that helps us understand. It's literally drenched in Old Testament stories. So it's kind of like the connector between the two books. Like if you were to see like Old Testament, New Testament, Hebrews is going to be the one to help us understand it. So first reason why we're studying this book is to help us love, grow a love and appreciation for our Old Testament, right? So that's the first reason. Second reason is that our hearts are tempted to value so many things more than Jesus, right? Like we might not functionally say that. You might be like, oh yeah, I love Netflix more than Jesus. Like you never say that, but we actually communicate it with our time, with our money, with our thought, whatever. Um, and so uh, we often think that, that, uh, that a pay raise sounds more enticing than Jesus, right? Uh, we think that going out and partying sounds a lot more fun than walking with Jesus. We think that a bigger house or a nicer house is more enjoyable than Jesus. We think spending hours watching Netflix is a lot more fun than walking and spending hours with Jesus, right? Um, and so this book is going to charge us, is going to exalt Jesus and show us that he is greater than all things. He is better, all, although our hearts are tempted to believe um, that's not true. This book is going to show us a more true view of Jesus. And so I'm so excited for this book. If you've got your Bibles, uh, open them and turn to Hebrews chapter 1 towards the end of your Bible, um, and uh, that's where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we'd love for you to have a Bible, and you don't have to pay for it. They're free if you walk out the doors. There's a white bookshelf with some like pretty blue Bibles. You can take those on the way out or grab them now. But anyways, Hebrews chapter 1 is where we're going to be. As you're getting there, let me ask you this. Um, when's the last time, or can you think of a time where you heard something like over and over and over again, 
And then you finally got it after hearing it a bunch of times. Like, when's the last time you heard something so many times and it finally clicked? Well, uh, my wife and I lived in South Africa for uh, a while. And while we were there, um, the ministry that we partnered with, um, the guy that ran it would have us do these random chores around the property. And so one day he said, hey, his name's Louis. He said, Austin, Ben, hey, I, I need you guys to do something for me. All right, what, what is it? Uh, I want you to move that 400-pound boulder to that side of the garden. We're like... I raise support for this, you know, like, this is what you want me to do with my, like, time is move a boulder to one side, yep, yep, and so we're like, okay, and, uh, and, and he looks and says this, um, just so you guys know, um, it's not about strength, it's about wisdom, and I'm like, dude, thanks, Mr. Miyagi, but, like, this is a 400-pound boulder, dude, I think I'm going to use strength to push this, and so uh, I'm with Ben, our high school director, and uh, my buddy Spencer and I, and we're like, okay, let's do this, like, let's get hyped, we're, like, pumping each other up, like, listen to the eye of the tiger, like, let's go, and then we grab it, and we're like, let's go, and we're, like, pushing as hard as we can, and, like, going from every angle, and it doesn't move an inch, you know, we're like, oh, my gosh, and so we're, we're frustrated, we're like, this is over an hour, and Louie walks up to us really patiently and says, hey, guys, I want to let you know, not about strength. It's about wisdom. Louie, this, we're an hour or so in, bro. I'm frustrated. I'm exhausted. Hey, thanks for your insight. But wisdom ain't going to move a 400-pound rock, dude. You know, like, that's not the way it works. Like, I need, we need strength. You know, we just need to be stronger. We need another dude, you know, to help us out. Thanks for helping with your advice, you know. And, and, and so we were just like, we're going to do it. And so we're, like, trying to move this thing. And we're, like, hours in. And it doesn't move a single inch. And we just give up. We're like, I literally can't do it. And Louie walks up. He's a 60-year-old dude. He's in his, like, later 60s with, likes bad knees, and I'm like, what's going to happen? He's got a stick in his hand. He walks up, he puts the stick underneath the rock, and wedges another rock, and goes like this, and it just falls over. We're like, what happened? Like, we're celebrating, high-fiving, and he, and he, as he walks away, he looks at us, he says, not about strength. It's about wisdom. And we're like, dude, it was one of the most baller moments I've ever seen in my life. We were like, wow. Like, yeah, we have so little wisdom, obviously. We can't even take your advice. And so it was just this amazing moment. But have you had something like that, right, where it's finally clicked? That maybe, you know, it's not about this. It's actually about this. Have you had moments where you've heard something over and over and over again, and then it finally makes sense. This is what happened with us in our first three verses in Hebrews. The verses we're going to study are going to point us to what God has been saying and doing for all of eternity, Right, What he's always been saying since the beginning of time, these verses are going to help us see the story that God has always been telling. Right, In City Light, we've all got some big misconceptions about God. And this book is going to confront all of them and point us to what's always been true. It's never been about religion. It's been about a relationship with Jesus. It's not about trying harder and doing a better. It's, it's trusting that Jesus did it perfectly for you. It's not about trying to act like you're perfect and you've got it all together. It's about admitting that you can't do it and believing that Jesus did it on your behalf. It's not about rules and laws. It's about grace. It's not about you. It's about God and his glory. Amen? So that's where we're going to be. That's why these verses matter. That's why this book matters. So let's dive in and read verse 1. Verse 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So my first point is that God has never been silent. God has never been silent. Now, one of the biggest misconceptions in Christianity is that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are somehow different. You know, like he changed or, or he got a little bit nicer. It was really hard, but now he's it, just somehow he changed. And that's not true at all. So to give you a little 
bit of background by what we mean, what I mean by Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament starts all the way back in the beginning. It says that God spoke the world into creation. So that's where it starts. And it tells the history of mankind. It tells the history of, um, of the human race. So you get tragedy and triumph and failure and victory. And you get all of these stories, everything that's happened all the way up until Jesus comes. Okay, So that's the whole Old Testament. Creation to when Jesus comes. The New Testament starts when Jesus comes and is born um, on this world, right? So we get his life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're called the Gospels. That's the first part. What's up, friends? Uh, so we got... <laughs> What's up? Morning. Uh, my girl, JC, loves it. Um, um, that's me in college. Okay, let me just say that. But anyways, uh, um, but... Uh, so you've got, so you got the New Testament, right? Jesus comes, he is born into, uh, into this world, and you get the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're the, the Gospels. They tell Jesus' life, and then after that, you get Acts, which is the start of the early church, and then from there, you get all these letters to encourage the early church and to tell us of what's to come. So that's the New Testament. So Old Testament... Creation to when Jesus comes, New Testament. There's about a 400-year gap between the last Old Testament book and when Jesus came, and then we get the uh, letters to encourage the believers. So that's Old Testament, New Testament. But if you read through the Old Testament, there are some hard stories to swallow, right? Like there's some difficult things to reconcile. And so we love the story of Noah and the ark, right? So sweet that God saved uh, Noah and his family and all the animals, and we have a children's book about it. But what doesn't always get recognized is that everyone on out everyone else on earth died. Like, that's serious. And that's, whole, that's seven chapters into the Bible. And then you get Exodus 11, and God allows every firstborn child in Egypt to die unless the family kills and sacrifices a lamb and puts the blood on the doorpost. At first glance, that can seem difficult, right? That can seem not very loving, and so it doesn't sound like the God of the New Testament. So what happened Well, as I've seen and studied, it's easy to kind of skim over those moments, kind of cherry pick some of these things and these stories of people dying. But through every single page of the Old Testament is stories of grace, God sparing people. Like we just got done studying Jonah and we saw his mercy for the Ninevites. Like he saved Nineveh. He freed his people from Egypt, from slavery. He patiently gave chance after chance after chance for people to move from their sin. He provided for his ungrateful people in the wilderness. He kept his covenant it with Israel. Even when Israel was unfaithful to him, he fought for his rebellious people. He spared millions that deserved to die. These are all stories in the Old Testament, okay? So this kind of idea that like God somehow changed and wasn't very nice in the Old Testament is totally false. Like you see these, but we often want to kind of grab onto these crazy stories, but we don't see the grace in every one of them. Oh, and by the way, if you think God punishing sin and being mad at sin is uh, is an Old Testament thing, can I point you to Jesus' cross? Like, you want to talk about God punishing sin and being angry at sin? God hates sin so much that he sent his son to die for that sin. Like, that's how serious this is. And the same wrath that we see poured out in small ways in the Old Testament was poured out fully on Jesus on the cross. Like, he paid for the sins that we committed. He took the wrath that you and I deserved. He died the death that you and I should have died, right? He took the punishment we deserve. God has never changed, friends. And Hebrews 1.1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke 
So he's bringing us back to the beginning. He's reminding us that Jesus wasn't the first time that God spoke, right? Like that's not what happened. Um, God speaking didn't start in the New Testament and his message didn't get nicer in the New Testament. Like it's always been the same. In other words, the loving message of God didn't start when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. You tracking with me? It started long ago. As God spoke the world into existence, he simultaneously was speaking that he cares for us and is pursuing us. Now, uh, uh, raise your hand. I really want you to raise your hand if you're like, if the silent treatment's your go-to. Like, if you're like, I I go silent treatment when I'm in conflict. Okay, wow, we got a lot of yellers in the room, okay? Wow, y'all need to go do some counseling, okay? As if the silent treatment's any better. You know, it's like, actually, they're both wrong. But anyways, this is my wife and I's go-to. Like, we're amazing at it, okay? Y'all can pray for us, all right? We're working on it. But, but anyways, I've had seasons in my life where I feel like God is giving me the silent treatment. Right, like I, I messed up a little too many times. I, I did that thing that I promised him that I would never do. I didn't improve the way I thought I would. And I think in turn, I, I just felt like God was disappointed in me. He said, Austin, man, yeah, you know, I saved you and everything like that, but I'm, I'm just really, I'm really disappointed in you right now. I need some space. Right? Like this kind of moment, he's turned his have you Have you had a moment like that or a season like that where you feel like God's just distant from you because you've messed up or you've, you've done something wrong and he's just kind of turned his back? It's, you know, it's not even acknowledged you, like he's giving you silent treatment. I've got amazing, if that's, news, if that's you, I've got amazing news for you in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It proclaims that God has never stopped speaking to you. He's never stopped speaking grace to you. He's never stopped being patient with you. He's never stopped pursuing you. He's never turned his back on you. And friends, he has never given you the silent treatment. He has always been speaking, and it's always been grace. And I'll prove it to you. When it says that he spoke to our fathers by the prophets, if you look back through the Old Testament, so many times, a majority of time, God comes and speaks to our fathers, to people when they were rebelling. And he would send a prophet, when they're lost in their sin, he would send a prophet to go to them and talk to them and, and lead them back to God. When God's people were wanting nothing to do with God and forgetting about him, he would send a prophet to remind them of his faithfulness. When God's people were running away, rebelling, and an enemy was coming after them, but they wanted nothing to do with God, God sent a prophet to say, hey, God will fight for you even when you're not looking to him. All throughout the Bible, we see this story, this narrative of God pursuing us and running after us at low times. The message of God comes at low times. So I want to be clear, God never stops pursuing us. Grace isn't a New Testament idea. Mercy isn't a New Testament doctrine, right? Love isn't a New Testament message. Patience isn't a New Testament quality of God. He has been the same from Genesis 1 to Leviticus 1 to Malachi 1 as he is in John 1, in Romans 1, in Revelation 22. The God of the Bible has stayed the same. He has spoke the consistent message over and over and over again to us, and it's been nothing but love and mercy and grace. Right? Thank you, Rich, for being excited about that. They're not pumped about God being the same. You and I are. I'm going to take you to coffee after this. But anyways, (laughs) see, like, do you see it? To cherish Jesus, to know his gospel, we cannot simply settle for the New Testament. We can't only know the second half of our Bible. So here's, here's a question. When's the last time you started a movie, like, halfway through or at the end? 
Probably not super often, right? Because you wouldn't recommend that. Like, it just wouldn't make all the sense. And so if you turn on Finding Nemo and, uh, and you see the point where Nemo's dad finally finds Nemo, you would celebrate and rejoice, right? It'd be, it's, it's an awesome scene. It's beautiful. They're, like, so happy. But you know what would make that story so much better, that moment so much better? Starting from the beginning. Sounds simple, but it's so true, right? Being able to see the journey that his dad went on to actually find him, seeing the pain and, the, and all of it that kind of comes into it to finally culminate in him actually finding his son, it would make it so much more beautiful. And I want to tell you, City Light, Jesus' cross and his resurrection is this pinnacle moment where the Father reconciles us and finds us and rescues us back to himself. But if we start there, we miss the whole story. We miss the first half of the story. We don't see the the splendor of it, the majesty of it, the the emotion of it all if we just start when God rescues us. It doesn't make that much sense. It's not as beautiful as it could be. So yeah, we celebrate it, but are we celebrating it with the power and the majesty of what it actually is? If we don't know our Old Testaments, we just start at the end of the movie, and that's not the goal. Hebrews 1.1 is widening our lens of the gospel. And I'm going to tell you, this is my personal story, uh, walking with Jesus. If you look at my Bible from back, I've got a couple of new ones over the time, I'll give them away. But, but uh, my first Bible, like first couple years I was walking with Jesus, like New Testament marked every single page. Y'all better believe, underlined, highlighted. I want to show my future wife just so she knew I was legit, you know? Like we sat, I sat next to her in ch- each other in church. She's like, wow, he's legit. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I am, you know, and uh, she's like, he got a highlighter in his Bible, you know, so it's just a little pointer tip for y'all that are single, sit next to someone you like and open your Bible with some highlights. But anyways, but, but, then, but then, you, then you're like, oh, he's so legit. Turn to Deuteronomy. Nothing, you know, like, wow, super legit, dude. Yeah, congratulations on reading John, you know. Uh, do some serious work, bro. But this is, this is what happened in my walk. And I was just like, and, 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 and really, City Light, I was, like, I was like so obsessed with the gospel. And I was so obsessed with grace. And I was so drawn in by the story of Jesus that I didn't want anything else that ex- that, other than it, what explicitly said Jesus. And what I realized over time that my view of the gospel, although I thought it was so supreme and so big, was actually really shallow. And I had men in my life press in and say, Austin, man, you can't just be in the New Testament. You've got to widen this out. You've got to see that the gospel isn't just in John or Galatians or Romans. It's in Deuteronomy and it's in Genesis and it's in Jeremiah. And so I started reading the Old Testament and my, I thought I had a big view of the gospel and it just exploded my love for Jesus and my affection for him. It just went, whoa, I didn't know that this has been what God is speaking through all time. So I just want to tell you, if you love the New Testament, if you love Jesus, Jesus and, and you love the gospel, you are missing out if you haven't also grown a love for the Old Testament that will pour into your love for Jesus and your love for God. The gospel goes back all the way to Genesis. Now, let's look at verse 2. Let's look at verse 2. It says, um, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. My second point is it's better to hear from a son than a prophet. 
It's better to hear from a son than a prophet. Uh, have you ever called a business, been on, phone with it, on the phone with them, and while you're grateful to talk to the employee, you're really like, can, you talk, can I talk to your manager or your owner? You know what I mean? Like, I know you're sweet, but can I talk to someone that actually can do something about this? Like, I've had a moment like that. But this is what's happening in the story, in our text. Like, it's contrasting from hearing from the prophets to hearing from the son, and there's a massive difference. And so uh, let me just show you how the author is clearly contrasting verses one and verse two. We've got a slide for it. So, um, so verse one says long ago, right? And verse two starts in these last days. In these last days, it's just since the days since Jesus came to earth. So that's the last days. So long ago, last days, two different time periods. Next one. And then you get God spoke, verse one, right? This is many times in many different ways. And then you get verse two, he has spoken. This is kind of this one final time. So you see the contrast between verse two, this next one. All right, next one. And then you see the uh, recipient of the message, right? God spoke many times in many ways to our fathers, and then now God spoke to us. So we're the recipients. And the last one, what's the vehicle he used? How did he communicate? First, verse one, by the prophets. Verse two, by his son. Does that make sense? So you just see this clear contrast. Like he's doing this for a reason. That's, you can't mistake that. Like it's just so wild to see all of those. And so what he's doing is he's showing us it is better to hear from a son than a prophet, right? He's drawing this out. City Light, the Old Testament is in need of a conclusion, right? It's a beautiful story, but it needs a conclusion. It needs a better conclusion. And the prophet spoke the word of God, but it wasn't the final word, okay? Um, in the Old Testament, it is, is this search for a hero, someone that would actually rescue and redeem. And there's so many hopefuls. Like, would it be, would it be Moses? No, he, he failed. Would it be Abraham? No, he chose comfort. Would it be David? No, he chose adultery and murder. Or what about Solomon? He was wise and rich. No, he chose women and lust. Every hopeful person that could be the hero eventually falls, right? And then Jesus comes. But if you don't, again, Jesus being the hero without having any other opportunities as the hero, it doesn't make him that much of a hero. But the people in the Old Testament that have experienced David's reign and Solomon's reign and Saul's reign and then seeing that they failed as a king, seeing Jesus now as a better king would be so much better, right? Like I read the Testament, Old Testament and I just yearn for Jesus. It makes him so much more beautiful and fulfilling. He is the one that fulfills the promises of God. He's the one that comes and actually is perfect. He's the better Moses, the better Adam, the better Jonah, right? The better Abraham. He is the long-awaited Savior. And so while it's great to hear from the prophets, friends, it is so much better to hear from the Son. And our verse gives us three reasons why, just three brief reasons why. You could walk through and see why is it better to hear from a son than a prophet. First one is to do business with the Son is to do business with the Father, in John 14, 6, Jesus says, if you uh, want to come to the Father, you've got to go through me, right? No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the graciously exclusive way to the Father. There are no other ways. Jesus is saying, hey, man, if you want to talk to God, you need to go through me first. In other words, hey, the prophets may have communicated the word of God, but I am the word of God. Hey, the prophets may have told you about God, but I'm going to bring you to God. Do you see the difference? Hearing from the prophets is like a biography, but hearing from the son is an autobiography, right? You get to actually hear from him. Second reason, Jesus is the heir of all things in the end, right? So the next kind of part of verse two, 
whom he appointed the heir of all things. Uh, so here's the conversation. Hey, Billy, what do you think you're going to get when your parents pass away? Oh, man, some funeral bills. I don't think they saved for that. Uh, my mom's jewelry box, it matters a lot to her. My dad's car doesn't run anymore, but it's pretty cool. And, uh, and probably some photos. Oh, that's sweet, man. That's cool, 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 cool. Hey, Jesus, uh, what, what's your inheritance? All things. You know, it's like, whoa, you know, you're just kind of like, I thought I kind of had a cool thing going. All things, like Jesus is the heir of all things. All things belong to him. Romans 11:36 says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. The prophets aren't, the prophets aren't the heir of all things. Jesus is. And the third reason is that Jesus is the creator from the beginning, right? And this last part, he kind of throws in, oh yeah, by the way, through whom also he created the world. Okay, so this is why he's the heir of all things, because he's the creator of all things. And so in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, capital W, Jesus, like the word is Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So in the beginning, Jesus and the Father and the Spirit are working in tandem to create and dream up our universe. Like that's what they did. See, the prophets were amazing people used by God, but they only had the ability to communicate what was already created. But Jesus is the better communicator and the better creator, right? He's done all of that. He is the better prophet, coming not only with the word of God, but as the word of God. Okay, so track with me real quick. What a gift for God to come, for, for rather than sending another messenger to us, he sent himself. Like, this is what we're talking about right now, the glory of the gospel. And so here, here, to recap, to make sure we're all on the same page, we know that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same. There's no distinction. They're the same person, the same God with the same message. He's never, he's never stopped speaking grace. He's always been speaking. He hasn't changed. He's never been silent. He's always been gracious, loving, merciful, patient, and just. And we know that rather than sending another prophet, God sent himself in his son, right? He sent his son to us, right? Which is so much better than hearing from prophets. So that's the recap of what we talked about so far. The question we haven't answered is what is God speaking through Jesus? Like I know Jesus came and I know it's better than prophets, but what did he speak through Jesus? So let's look at verse three to find the glorious answer. Verse three, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. My last point is who Jesus is and what he's done. Who Jesus is and what he's done. Now in John 17, 3, Jesus says, this is eternal life. If you want to know what eternal life is, here it is. To know God, to know you, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent, right? So Jesus just gives a pretty straightforward. If you want eternal life, here it is, knowing God and Jesus, right? Straightforward, eternal life isn't following rules, being better, coming to church more often, and knowing more things about your Bible. Eternal life is knowing God. And I want to point out real quick that he didn't say eternal life is knowing about God, because those two things are different, right? If it was knowing about God, then all we would need to do is study a fact sheet about God, and we'd be like, yep, I'm getting to heaven. But that's not what he said. He said to know God, right? It's not about knowing about God. It's knowing God. And so here's the question. How do we know God? And verse 3 gives us the beautiful answer. This is what God is speaking through Jesus. How do we know God? Here's the answer. 
by knowing Jesus, by knowing Jesus, who he is and what he's done. It says that he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So this is who Jesus is. He reveals the Father to us. He reveals God to us. This word radiate or radiance, it, it, it communicates like shining or reflecting light. And so it's kind of like, the, like the, the, the rays that emit from the sun that help us see the sun. Like that's what Jesus does for us. And now pause for a second. If you're thinking radiance and glory and and Jesus showing us God and the sun, you might start to picture Jesus if you were to close your eyes of like, this, this like dude with this soft, like smooth hair, and, and, and he's wearing like this clean, pure white robe with like a glow behind him in some way, you know, and like a little halo, and he's kind of offset apart from everybody else. But I don't think that's what Jesus looked like. I love this story of Judas and his kiss. See, uh, it's in Matthew 26, and Judas is one of Jesus' disciples, but he comes with a group um, of people of, uh, of people to betray Jesus. And so Jesus is speaking to a group of people, and Judas comes with another group of people to betray him. And in verse 48, uh, it says that Judas would give them a sign to who Jesus is. Okay? He's like, I'll give you a sign to who this guy is. And so he walks up to Jesus and he kisses Jesus. And, and everyone just goes crazy. Like, I can't believe you betrayed him. And yeah, that is wild. But what strikes me is that he had to point out who Jesus is. In a group of tax collectors, in a group of fishermen, in a group of poor people and prostitutes, Judas had to point out, this is Jesus in this big group of people. It's like someone coming out in this room and saying, yeah, that, that's him right there. Like, In other words, Jesus blended in. How beautiful is that? The God of the universe doesn't have this like aura. So so when we're talking about the radiance of God and radiating God's glory, we're not talking specifically about his physical appearance. We're talking about who he is as a person. He reflects the character of God. This is what it means for Jesus to be the exact imprint of his nature. If you want to know what God is like, look no further than Jesus. Right? What is true about Jesus is also true about God. And so when you see Jesus stop what he's doing to care for the woman that was bleeding, you can know that God cares for you intimately and stops to to care for you. When you see Jesus reach out and touch the leper, that wasn't touched for years, and that was outcasted by society, you can know that God reaches out to you when no one else will. When you see Jesus angrily flip tables because people are preventing other people from worshiping God, you can know that God cares and he hates when people are prevented from worship. When you see Jesus stop and weep with Mary when she loses her brother, you can know that God empathizes with you when you're hurt. When you see Jesus ask God to forgive the men that are nailing him to the cross, you can know that God loves to show mercy. Amen? If you want to know God, you have to know Jesus. What is true about Jesus is true about God. And this is glorious and amazing. And then it says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Okay, now verse two told us that he created the world, but now in verse three, it says that he also sustains the world. Okay, so this word upholding, it doesn't mean like he's holding it on his back, like it's a burden that he's just holding and carrying the world. Like 
Um, it, it actually means that he's holding and carrying it from one place to another. So this is what that word means. And so uh, through Jesus's power, through his word, he's got the whole world in his hands and he takes it where he wants. You know, like he just, he just does that, you know. It's just like in his sovereign divine power, Jesus not only hold, created and holds and sustains our world, but he moves us sovereignly where we need to go. This is what it means for Jesus to uphold the universe by the word of his power. So he is the agent of creation and the preserver of creation. And then this last part. Man, I'm just like kind of waiting for this part. Okay, it's all beautiful. But this is, this is one of the pinnacle kind of moments, and we'll see this throughout the rest of the story. But look at verse 3. It says, after making purification for sins, he sat down. Now, we'll talk so much more about this through the rest of our study through the book of Hebrews. But this morning, I just want to scratch the surface just a little bit. And so um, uh, sin leads you uh, to being unclean right? You're no longer pure. You're defiled by sin. And Romans 3.23 says, sorry to break it to you, but all of us have sinned, right? So no one in this room is perfect. We're all unclean. We're, none of us are pure. We're all guilty of sin. And uh, in the Old Testament, people would uh, offer animal sacrifices to, uh, to cleanse them, right? And so blood uh, was this kind of symbol of, of life given and, and a death experienced, right? And so uh, this word purification has always involved substitution. So you look in the Old Testament, purification and substitution are like interchangeable, like those two things always go together. So you take a lamb's life in place of yours, right? You put, you, your sin goes on the sin of the lamb and you're clean. That sounds great, right? It's like, Sweet, you know, like I'm done, like I'm clean now. Here's the problem. People kept sinning, right? People kept sinning, so they have to keep sacrificing over and over and over again. And so that's the sacrifice, that's the people, that's unclean. And then you've got the priest. And the priest is this man that's kind of a mediator between God and his people. And so he would actually perform the sacrifices for the people. So he would stand daily killing these animal sacrifices and doing this um, uh, to help clean, like, uh, cleanse his sin and the sin of his people. So this is what's been happening, right? But the problem is people kept sinning. So they would come back over and over and over again. Like, dude, here's a pigeon. I did this. I looked at this. It's like, okay, you could save a lot of money if you stop, bro. You know, like, it's just this repetitive thing. Like, what are you doing? You've killed so many lambs last week, you know? Like, just stop doing that. You're going to save some money, put it to retirement. But anyways, um, so this is, this is what's happening over and over and over again. And this priest is standing, making sacrifices for himself and for his people. But friends, this is where it really gets crazy and beautiful. Notice that it says that Jesus sat down after making purification for sins. This is, ra- rather than sacrificing another lamb, Jesus came and sacrificed himself for us. Rather than spilling the blood of animals, Jesus spilled his own blood for us. And rather than us having to go back over and over and over again, this death is so much better. Like how much, how much better is the sacrifice of God's son than the sacrifice of a worthless animal, right? This sacrifice that Jesus made would not just cover our previous sins, but every single sin that we would ever commit. This is the gospel. This is the story. This is what Jesus has done. And Jesus, as our great, not only our substitution and our lamb, but our greater priest, didn't have to stand daily to offer more sacrifices. He sacrificed once, and he sat down. 
Meaning his sacrifice is sufficient. His death was paid in full. Like everything for all of our sins is done. He doesn't need to stand anymore. He sits down victorious. It is finished. The payment cleared. It is done. You are cleansed and pure. And all the way back in Isaiah 1.18, God promises, he says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. City Light, y'all better get excited like my buddy Rich, okay? He's going crazy up here. He is getting it. He's giving me some head nods. You know, y'all are like, that sounds cool, you know? But anyways, this is, this is the best news ever. Jesus Christ died once for all who would believe in him. Though our sin made us stained, Jesus died as our substitution lamb and made us pure forevermore. There is nothing more that we could add to it or do to it other than believing that it's true and sufficient. Amen? This is amazing. And then I want you to look at the last words in verse 3. Notice not only that he sat down, but notice where he sat down. It says, at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so Jesus, this is just what we've gone through. Jesus isn't just the son of God, the heir of all things, the agent of creation, the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature, the preserver of creation, the purifier of his people, and the great high priest. Jesus is the king who reigns forevermore right? He is seated to the right hand of the majesty on high, reigning with God for all of eternity. That's what Jesus did. He, his sacrifice was sufficient and perfect. He traded his crown of thorns here on earth for a crown of glory and is seated forevermore. His work is finished. His sacrifice is perfect. His death was final and his resurrection was victorious. And can I just say, friends, what an amazing king that we have. They would step down from his throne of glory to be hung on a cross for sinners like you and I. That would leave shouts of praise to hear shouts of hatred and be spit on. What a beautiful king that would do that for us. And you have to ask the question, why do such a thing? And the glorious answer is, it's always been the plan. This is what I've always been speaking to you. This has always been the plan. This is the story that God has always been telling. City Light, we will never understand the beauty of Jesus and the glory of the gospel if we only know our New Testaments. And so here's my challenge. For those of you in the room that haven't trusted in Jesus yet, that haven't been made pure and been cleansed by his grace and by his sacrifice for you, stop trying to act like you're perfect you can't be. Stop trying to be your own savior. You can't be. Stop trying to act like everything's okay. Jesus frees you to admit, I'm broken and needy and weary and I am unclean because he says, I will make you clean. I will purify you. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. I will cleanse you. And that's the invitation this morning for you to turn from your sin and to trust in what Jesus has done for you to make him your substitutional, sufficient sacrifice. I would love for that to happen this morning. And if you have trusted in Jesus, if you're in the room and you say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm following Jesus, can I please encourage you to open up the first half of your Bible 
Can I encourage you to dig deeper than just what's in the surface in the New Testament, but to dive into the Old Testament, to grow a love for it, to grow an expanded mind for Jesus? And if you're thinking it's so hard to read the Old Testament, I know, but it gets easier as you just commit to it. Buy a study Bible, sit down with it, get in a city group and learn together, get in a huddle, start discipleship with somebody and just say, we're going to read this together and learn together and read Hebrews. And just go back through the references and look back and see, oh, this is where this was. This is where this was. Oh, it's in Leviticus. That sounds crazy. I didn't know that. And just gradually learn. I'd love to invite you. This is my main plea for the believer in the room. Don't be complacent with what you know about Jesus. Don't be complacent. Don't think it's enough. And here's the thing. If we settle for how we currently know Jesus, we'll consistently think that other things are better than him. We need an expanding, greater view of Jesus to know that when those lesser things come up and try and tempt us to say, this is better, we can say, no, it's not. I know Jesus, and he's way better. City Light, this is the story that God's always been telling. From the beginning of time until today, God has been speaking this redemptive plan into existence our rebellion and his redemption. And so let's together dive deeper into the whole story so that we can see, we can dive deeper into the incalculable, scandalous, relentless love of God. Amen? Now we get to take communion this morning and it's like this beautiful reality, this beautiful kind of picture of Jesus as our sacrifice. And so as we get into two lines and we come down the, the middle aisle, you'll, you'll be handed a piece of bread and then you'll dip it in the juice. And... and um. And this isn't just like this religious ceremony, like we didn't just buy the juice and the bread for no reason, you know, like we could spend our money on different things. Um, We're not just trying to feed you either, like you already got your Krispy Kreme. (laughs) We're dumping Krispy Kremes and donuts, you know, like that's blasphemy, you know, we're not going to do that. But anyways, or Krispy Kreme and milk. Uh, But anyways, um, bread, dipping it in the juice, this bread represents Jesus's body actually literally, bro- literally broken for you. And so the God um, that we see in the Old Testament, that's righteous and holy and perfect and angry towards sin, then Jesus comes and takes on the full wrath of God for those who would believe on the cross. And that meant that his body had to be broken. Like he literally had to be crushed for you and for me. Jesus died for you and I. His body was broken and his blood was shed. Rather than spilling the blood of goats or bulls or uh, lamb, lambs or whatever, he actually sacrificed himself. He spilt his own blood so that you and I could be reconciled for all of eternity. And guess what? This same Jesus that broke his body and shed his blood for us, he's seated in heaven as a sufficient savior, sacrifice, and king. Amen. So let's take this family meal together and remember that all that, all, uh, that Jesus has done for us. I'm going to pray.